Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm your host, Irvin Lee. Please like, share, and subscribe at FromBeerToTheBible.com. We're going to jump right into it today. Well, there's something that has been heavy on my mind and heavy on my heart. And recently I've had the, the opportunity to be interviewed by several radio stations about it. And that's this phenomenon of moms and more importantly, women in totality becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol, specifically alcohol. Uh, alcoholism is increasing amongst women. And we believe a lot of that has to do with shows like Sex in the City, uh, that promote happy hour and women drinking. I'm going to date myself here uh, because when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a culture and an environment when a woman really didn't want to have more than one or two drinks because it was just unbecoming. But what we're noticing now is that it has been uh, okayed by the culture for women not only to have one or two, but three, four, five, six to the point where they get drunk. And that was considered kind of unladylike in the era that I grew up in. And also my wonderful guest today, Pastor Pam. How are you, Pastor Pam? I'm doing great. So good to see you again, Urban. And I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah, you you know, you are amazing, uh, especially for all of the work that you do with people like myself who suffer from drug and alcohol addiction. So let's hop into it. Give me your thoughts and feedbacks on, you know, the rationale and the reason for women falling into addiction, specifically uh, alcoholism is growing amongst women and moms. Hmm. You know, Urban, I'm going to date myself too, because I'm a grandmother. And so I can remember growing up and uh, same as you, you know, it, it wasn't ladylike. You know, women just didn't drink heavily more than one or two drinks. You know, they wouldn't do that. I remember being a little girl and living in a time that seemed real peaceful. And then within a decade, suddenly it was drug, sex, rock and roll. And there was this, and women's lib, and there was this pressure on women to somehow, you know, we can be just like men. We can do all the things they do, even if there are things that aren't good for men, even. We, we can be as sexual, we can drink as much, we can party as much. That began to be the way that the, the culture was thinking and, and uh, pressing women. And it wasn't a good thing. I mean, I, I, I'm a pastor, so I'm doing a job that I only saw men do when I was a child. But And I, and I love that. I love being able to do something God called me to do. And I, I want women to be able to do all that they are called to do and all that they are. I don't want women to be like my mom, who only felt she could wear an apron and cook the chicken. You know, she right. had a lot of dreams, but she never realized all of them. So I'm all for women becoming all that they can be, but not becoming 
drunkards and uh, promiscuous people. I mean, that's not a, a way to fill the hole in our hearts. The way to fill the hole in our hearts is to have character and integrity, to know the Lord, to live with his love and his spirit filling us and um, giving us that that fullness that we all yearn for. So, yeah, it's been a bad trend. And you commented to me when you wrote to me that the pandemic has, it seemed to make things worse because people were isolated and they were stressed. Women started drinking even more to soothe feelings. And that's no way to do it. We know that because it's easy to fall into addiction. Yeah. And when you think, I'm not an addict, I'm just having a glass of wine every night, but it, it quickly turns into something you can't get free of. Yeah, I I was telling uh, a group of women that I was speaking to is that we open the door and the enemy uses alcohol. And I know that our generation was taught that marijuana is the gateway drug. But the more and more I look at it and the more research that I've done, I truly believe that alcohol is the gateway drug. It's socially acceptable. It's found just about any any restaurant, any bar. There's liquor stores all over. And it's socially acceptable for a person to go to lunch, have a couple of drinks, and then go back to work. So uh-huh. I believe you start drinking, and they don't call it spirits for nothing, but you open up this door, and you open up the door to behaviors, to habits, and things that you would not normally do when you are drinking alcohol. I, I've spent a lot of time reflecting over my life, and I realized there was not one good decision that I made when I had any alcohol in my system. And as I think about that, I look at women, and they say that one of the main drivers of the reasons women start to lean on alcohol for comfort is Uh, mental health, meaning stress and anxiety. And then we have this new world of what we call social media and Instagram life, right? To keep Mm -hmm. up with the ladies and the things that you see on Instagram, there's a lot of pressure on women. And I have just started to turn off social media. So I guess talk to us about the impact you see uh, on drinking with women as it relates to the pressures of social media and uh, maintaining their mental health. Yes, I agree with you so much on that, Irvin. I think that it's permissible in our culture to use alcohol to soothe yourself. You know, I, you, you get upset. You, you, you look on Instagram, you feel envious. You feel like other people's lives are better than yours. They have uh, more visibility. They're more important. They're more beautiful, whatever it is. And, you know, it's like sometimes people don't even realize that's a trigger, you know, and you start to feel uncomfortable and unsettled inside. So, okay, I'll go to the kitchen and get the bottle of wine. I'll start drinking. I'll feel better. And it's a big delusion. Um, I, I mentioned to you in an email that I had a friend who posted on Facebook about her decades-long struggle with alcohol. Um, she was a person who would drink every day. I mean, that, that's what it became for her, every day, the wine. And she said she started going around to different liquor stores just to hide the fact that she was drinking. But that 
underscores what you just said. Alcohol is so available. Um, you can go anywhere and get some almost, you know. So she would go get her wine. She would drink heavily every day. And she did this for decades, as she said. And then one day she woke up in severe pain and she thought, oh my goodness, you know, if I destroyed my liver. And so she went to the doctor. The doctor couldn't find anything, but it was a wake-up call to her. And it's like, I'm destroying myself with this. And she said, that's it. I'm stopping right now. And so she was one who could stop. But many don't have that capacity or, or, or it takes them a long time to find it. They're, they're, they become addicted to the alcohol and it's hard to get free, as we know, because it changes your brain and you, the cravings. That's the struggle, isn't it? You have the cravings for it, you know, that are so powerful and the temptation. So, yeah, um, there needs to be something else to address mental health needs when you're sad, depressed, um, feel isolated. There has to be something else. And you and I would say that it's faith, that you find Jesus, you yeah. find all you need. You have to change what you use to comfort and self-soothe. That cannot be alcohol. And, you know, I'm going to say this, and probably some people will not uh, agree with this, but I, I always look at bars as they're just drug houses, you know. Yeah. They're not doing crack cocaine. They're doing alcohol. But that not that what it is? Yeah. I'm not drug. saying don't have them. I'm not saying people can't, who can drink responsibly can't have a social drink. I'm not saying that necessarily. But if we're going to be really real about this, a lot of people do go in there and drink too heavily and get really uh, inebriated, you know. So we've got to be smart. That is a gateway drug. I agree with you 100% on that. And as a person or a woman falls into addiction and alcoholism, talk about the importance of once they seek the Lord, seek treatment, and they get sober, talk about um, the importance of community and continued discipleship. Yes. You know, this is something that I have become just consumed with thinking about is how do we get people from when they first receive Christ to where they are so solidly rooted in him that nothing can shake them? Because let's say you have a woman who has struggled with alcohol, maybe even other drugs, and she knows she can't live that way anymore, and she's trying to recover. And let's say she finds a Christian community, a Christian recovery community, and she learns about Jesus and reaches that point where she says, you know what? I believe he's really real. I believe he is what I need. I, I'm going to help me. Uh, I want to pray that he would come into my heart, that he would be my savior, and I would change my life and follow him. And so they do that. They take that big step. Maybe they're baptized. Yay, wonderful. Yeah. But unless they learn how to live day to day, you know, what's a Christian perspective on worry or depression or um, being single or finding work or managing your money or any of those things, if they don't know how to deal with a day to day, if a setback comes, that may knock them right back into a relapse. So, 
just in terms of thinking about addiction and addicted people recovering that I know, that I've worked with, I've been thinking so much about this thing of discipling. Sometimes, you know, people go to church, Irvin, and they'll hear a sermon on uh, David one day, and then they'll hear a sermon on budgeting or, you know, I mean, they'll hear, they'll hear topics, but they, they, they're like, I'm trying to connect the dots here. I, I don't have a system for how to live. And discipling people, working with them, talking with them, praying with them, encouraging them, talking about attitudes, about all the aspects of life that are Christian attitudes, and helping them to really take root in that. I think that's the call of the hour for us, is to help people grow up in the faith. I came away from my trip to Africa. I just was in uh, Uganda in uh, July and August, and some of the Christian leaders over there were confirming what I said. They said, yeah, we, we get people who will convert and become Christians, but then they fall away. Yeah. With the first battle that comes, they fall away. And here's what I think, Irvin. I think sometimes people are not taught enough about the causes behind their difficulties. Mm. For instance, um, let's say you are tempted to use alcohol again. You've been a, an addict, you you have been in recovery, you've been clean and sober, and then some old friends come over or something happens and you get tempted and you you go out and drink again. I've heard people say, why did God do that to me? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and God becomes the villain behind our own mistakes, our own choices. He becomes the villain behind people doing cruel and sinful things to us. He becomes the villain behind the devil's temptations and triggers and, and, and effect on our life. And we need to learn, no, there's different causes for our suffering. But the one who will always be with us is God to yeah. walk through us, through the difficulty with us, to help us see what the next right thing is to do, and to help us avoid those triggers and temptations. A good discipled relationship with God through Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we need to help people find. We need more of that in our churches and Christian recovery communities. I, I agree with you because you see people come into the church, you see people come into faith-based recovery groups, and when they are not disciple, then they fall away when, because the Bible talks about it, when trials and tribulations. So they are coming, and I see one of the greatest deceptions by the enemy is he causes us to not recognize our part in what we're going through and recognize what's called consequences versus mm -hmm. God's punishing us for bad behavior, right? And for yeah. a long time, I, I tell people, I, I was upset. By the time I got to treatment, I was like what you said. I was like, God, how could you let me? And then I had to realize and dissect and get in front of God and say, no, 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 hold on. I'm the one that made a conscious decision of my will to overconsume alcohol to the point I became addicted to it, right? And I had yes. to accept my part in it and realize that I broke God's laws and there were consequences to them. And I tell people, 
God does not have to punish us for sin, and he doesn't. He punished Christ for that. So, But when we break his laws, the consequences are written into the law. So you yes. break that law, the consequences are already <laughs> written there. He doesn't have to do anything. It's written into his law. And I guess help people reconcile that it's not God, that they're just earthly consequences to breaking his laws. Yes, exactly. You know, um, when I first became a pastor, when I was a student pastor, mm -hmm. um, it seemed like the first month I had three funerals to do. And boy, <laughs> when you're a beginner, <laughs> that's kind of scary. Yeah. And the very first one was for a woman who the community loved. She worked as a nurse, so the doctors, uh, you know, hospital head, and all the prominent people in this smaller town, but, you know, it was sizable enough. They knew her. They loved her. Her family adored her. She was only in her early 50s. Well, what had happened was she was driving down to her job at the hospital on a rainy day, and she went too fast, and she went around a curve and lost control of the car and went over the road. Car rolled, and she was killed. And I was left with this community just mourning and suffering and, and thinking, how could a good person like this die? And then and a lot of people were saying, why did God do this? This is so awful. How could God take her? And so I had to very gently but lovingly say to them, you know, on a perfect day when the sun's out, if you go around that curve and you go a little faster, you're fine. I said, but on this day, it was raining. I said, God didn't take the wheel. You know, it just was a law of nature that the car lost its, you know, because of the slipperiness, the car lost its place on the road as she went around the curve. And unfortunately, she died. I said, but you know, the Lord loves her, loved her in her earthly life, loves her now. The Lord loves her family and will be there with them. And all of you in this room, he loves you. Mm. And I also tell people the story sometime of a pastor who had a similar thing. His son went over a bridge and people were saying to him, and, and his son died on a rainy night too, and he lost control and went over a bridge into a river and died. And people were saying to him, how can you worship that God who took your son like that? And he said, you've got to get over this idea that God has his hand on knives, on steering wheels, on all these things that happen to yeah. people. God, he said, was the first one who wept yeah. when my son died. And so you have to uh, help people. I, in fact, I just wrote a blog article on, is God responsible for every good and bad thing? And of course, my response was no. Yeah. You know, we're responsible. Like you said, Urban, we make choices that give us consequences. And sometimes people do things to each other that are so sinful, so cruel, and so hurtful. And and then there's the devil and the demonic that figures into what happens in life. And, and the devil loves it when we're tempted, when we get afraid, when we doubt our God. You know, he loves all that stuff. So he's always at it trying to get us to get in that state of mind. And one of the biggest things we need to learn in our walk of faith is God is good all the time. All the time. I we spend a lot of time in talking about 
a lot of attributes of the Lord. One that we don't talk about enough, I believe, is God is love. And yeah. one of the things that when I approach believers or non-believers when it comes to addiction is I always try to give them empathy. To me, that means loving their soul, their mind, their will, and their emotions, getting them sober, and then I can bring the education after the empathy. And then God always opens up a door for me to talk about that God is love and that God can redeem the unredeemable. And many times in our mind when we're suffering from addiction or mental health issues, the devil has deceived us to believe that God will not take us back. God can help us and God does not want to help us. So talk about helping people overcome the deception of the devil. Yes, that uh, factor of shame and guilt and feeling like I'm just unlovable. You know, God may love other people, but I'm unlovable. I've done too much. Often it's a problem for people coming out of addiction. I one time had a, a woman sit with me uh, in the recovery community I was ministering in. And she said that to me. She says, I'm just not any, I've done so many awful things and I've been imprisoned and she listed everything that was wrong with her. And I said, well, I said, can I read you a story from the Bible? You might know it, but you know, let me just share a story. And I told her the story of, you can find it in the different gospels, but I love the version from Mark 5 of the man who was among the tombs. And he was a man who was, they tried to, he had mental health issues and they tried to excuse me, they tried to chain him and he broke the chains. Um, he took his clothing and tore it off. He screamed and yelled through the night. He was terrifying and nobody in the town wanted to be near him. He would go up in the hills and he would cut himself. So he was crazy, but he was also demonized. Jesus came to see him. Jesus came straight across the Sea of Galilee for this man. He didn't avoid him. He didn't say, well, clean yourself up and then I'll pay attention to you. Jesus came straight across the Sea of Galilee to this man and walked up to it. And it turned out this man was very plagued by demons. In fact, when Jesus says, what is your name to the demonic that was troubling him? The answer was, we are legion, meaning this man was so troubled by evil spirits. But Jesus delivered him, and he became totally free. And the townspeople, oh, well, I should add this part, Jesus sent all those demons into the pigs, 2,000 pigs that were being herded nearby, and they all went into the sea. So people from the town came, and they wanted to see what had happened. They were hearing these stories, and when they came up, they actually told Jesus, go away, which kills me, because I, if I saw that kind of a miracle, I'd say, stay here for the rest of my life and fix everything. But they were frightened by his power. But the man who had been so troubled was sitting there in his right mind, free from any demonic troubling. He, had, he was fully clothed, and he was normal again. And he said to Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no. He said, I want you to go back to your people. Now, his people were in an area of 10 cities called the Decapolis. And uh, 
there wasn't even a Jewish area. But Jesus said, you go there and tell them what I've done for you. So this man was, in essence, sent out now to preach the gospel, the good, well, not so much the gospel of Jesus. They hadn't been put on the cross yet, but the good news of Jesus Christ and the miracles he was doing. So this man was sent out as a preacher. Mm. So the young woman that I told this story to, the recovering addict, I said, are you that bad? Are you in the tombs, among the tombs? Are you shrieking naked and have ten, uh, have a legion of demons? And she said, no. And I said, well, Jesus fixed this guy. I'm believing he can fix everything that needs fixing with you and that he makes a beeline toward you because he loves you too and he wants you whole. So don't doubt him. Let him love you. Yes, that's so good. And with women in addiction, the two that I really see that run in parallel that keep them in their active addiction is I see shame and then I see self-doubt. And we've, we've got a few minutes left. So I want you to, to just talk directly to our women and our moms in addiction and alcoholism now, because I think the enemy has specifically targeted them in this season. Because if you can derail the mom, and now we've got so many children growing up without a father in the house. So if you get a single yes. mom who's now an alcoholic, you have just destroyed the children and their opportunity potentially for the life that God has for them. So speak to that, please. Yes. You know, the Lord can do anything. And the scripture says, is anything impossible for God? And the answer is no. Everyone can be healed and restored and become the person that God always intended you to be. The Lord loves you and he wants to make you brand new and he wants you to let go of the guilt, leave it behind you and not take it along with you into your future. You know, one of my favorite women in the Bible is Mary Magdalene. And she's described in the beginning of Luke 8 as a woman who had been freed from sickness and evil spirits. Seven demons had come out of Mary Magdalene, it says. So she must have been a person really troubled. And I think, you know, sometimes people hear that word demons and they say, that sounds a little bit out there and scary to me. Well, de demonic things, what can they be? Fear? depression, sorrow, self-hatred, those things are, are the kinds of things that can plague us. And as Irvin just said, the devil sets us up to take all that in and believe that's who we are and what we forever will be. But Mary Magdalene, if you know about her, she went on to become one of the dearest disciples of Jesus Christ and when he was crucified, dead, and buried, when he rose from the dead, she was among the first to see him. And he sent her off to tell his men, his male disciples, that he was risen and that she had seen the Lord. That's how important she became to him. He loved her, trusted her, and he sent her off as an apostle, really, to go proclaim Christ is risen. So for you who are listening, 
trying to recover, trying to lead your family, trying to take care of your children. The Lord wants to walk with you and help you in that. You are so precious and valuable. You are needed. So don't you listen to any of the lies from the enemy. You are precious and honored in his sight, the scripture says, because he loves you. Even your name is engraved in the palm of his hand. Oh, that is so good, Pastor Pam. You bless us every time that you come on. And my prayer is that God continues to enable, equip, and empower you to do the work of loving on those who aren't always loved. And I'm talking about those like myself who suffer from addiction, who fall into alcoholism. So for, for everyone out there, I want you to know, today, though, we're talking specifically to the moms and to the women who are suffering from drug and alcohol addiction. God loves you. God is not mad at you. God has a great plan for your life. Please reach out to us at FromBeardToTheBible.com and let us help you. Do not be afraid. Do not be in fear. Do not be in shame. We can help you. And more importantly, God can help you. He can get you sober, but more importantly, he can set you free, give you true freedom and healing and recovery. And remember, as the psalmist said, it is God who arms you with strength and who will make your way perfect. God is bigger than drugs. God is bigger than alcohol. And as Pastor Pam and I have said to you today, God is seeking to make you healthy and whole and free from addiction. We love you. Continue to watch the show. If you want to support us, please do so at FromBeerToTheBible.com. And Pastor Pam, where can they reach you at? They can find me. My website is PamMorrisonMinistries.com. Well, Pam, thank you again for a wonderful show. You're a great sister in Christ, and we'll have you back again real soon. All right. Thank you, Urban. It was a delight to be with you again. All right. God bless you to all of our, our viewers and listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.